You're going to love this. Just love it. Yes, you will. Well, part of it anyway. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the Bradcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM here in L.A., up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast and 106.7 FM KSO in Cottage Grove, out in Pennsylvania on 93 FM WLRI in Lancaster, out in Hawaii on 88.5 FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Out in Ohio on WGRN 94.1 FM in Columbus and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, streaming coast to coast and around the globe on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, Detour Talk in East Tennessee. And five days a week on Radio Sputnik, blanketing the blanketing the Earth on Earth Day. In fact, this is the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us on this day that we have named for the Earth. Uh, the federal U.S. District Court judge described it as little more than a, quote, publicity stunt when she sentenced Doug Hughes to four months in prison yesterday. One year ago, Hughes landed his gyrocopter on the lawn of the U.S. Capitol in hopes of bringing attention to the obscene system of corporate campaign finance that we now have in these oligarchic states of America. Well, yes, uh, sometimes a publicity stunt is what it takes to bring attention to the most important issues facing our nation. So I am more than happy to give Doug Hughes a little bit more publicity, and I will do so momentarily when he joins us to discuss his sentencing and much more related to it. Also, Desi Doyen will be joining us for the Green News Report on this Earth Day. Hi, Desi. Yes, Dillian. I am How here. How are you? Uh, lots to cover uh, today in the Green News Report, and uh, specifically uh, with world leaders now gathering to sign the historic Paris Agreement on yeah, Earth Day. Kind of a big deal. Kind of a big deal, a very big deal. So that is straight uh, ahead on this hour as well. Um but we've got some uh, some good news. Not to say that that's not good news. That was good news. <laughs> it uh, is. That is good news uh, concerning the Paris Agreement. We'll get into those details. But more good news. But still more good news. And how often do we get to start this program with good news? Uh, Alice Olstein and Kira Lerner over at Think Progress wrote a really nice piece with just part of this good news. The good news gets even better in a second. But uh, last year, they write, Maryland's legislature passed a bill to restore the voting rights of more than 40,000 people 
who have completed felony sentences but remain on parole or probation, roughly half of whom live in Baltimore. Republican Governor of Maryland Larry Hogan vetoed that bill, but the legislature mustered the votes this past February to override him and implement the change. In the months since, local organizations like Communities United have fanned out across Baltimore and the rest of Maryland to register thousands of newly enfranchised citizens and to make sure that they vote in the state's April 26 primary. Maryland will be voting with this new enfranchisement law in place despite the Republican attempt to stop it. Uh, groups have been fanning out and signing up these people who have not been able to vote for years and years. Perry Hopkins is a formerly disenfranchised former felon working with Communities United. He said, we came home, we pay taxes, we work, but we never had a voice. We're being legally discriminated against, but it's time to end that. We're going to become a respected group that the elected officials are going to listen to. And I would urge you to go over to Think Progress and read this story. Headline, thousands of, Amer uh, thousands of Maryland voters are headed to the polls for the first time in decades. Um, because it's, it's quite uplifting hearing about these people who are these former felons who are now being welcomed back into society, being allowed to vote. They've done their time. They've paid their time. Not only have they have they uh, paid their time in jail, but, you know, they're also past parole and, and they were still being blocked from being able to vote. Four states still permanently disenfranchise voters with felony convictions. Thirty others ban them from casting a ballot for some period of time after their incarceration. These laws bar nearly six million Americans with felony convictions from being able to vote. And of course, these felony uh, uh, disenfranchisement laws were, were passed after Civil War when Confederate states, by and large, were, were implementing them for the explicit purpose of preventing the newly freed black residents from gaining political power. But it was not only in the South where this uh, where this happened. And uh, now we're seeing data is emerging showing that uh, restoring voting rights helps prevent people from uh, reoffending. Maryland and states across the country are grappling with a, whether a criminal record should bar someone from voting. And if so, for how long? Reports think progress in Florida, where felon disenfranchisement laws impact nearly two million people. Residents continue to push for a ballot measure to restore the voting rights of of most nonviolent offenders. Well, that is uh, like I said, there is more good news than that. Yes, those uh, tens of thousands will now be able to vote in Maryland that were not able to vote previously. But in a surprise move today. Virginia Governor Terry McAuliffe, Democratic uh, governor of, of Virginia, announced an executive action that will restore voting rights to approximately 200,000 Virginians with past criminal convictions. Until a few years ago, Virginia disenfranchised anyone with a past felony conviction for life. The policy was recently loosened. So citizens could apply to have their rights restored, but the process was often lengthy, cumbersome, and limited to individuals convicted of certain crimes, according to the Brennan Center for Justice, who lauded McAuliffe's uh, move today. They said today's action will allow eligible citizens who have completed their term of incarceration and supervised release, including probation or parole, to immediately register to vote. 
The sweeping order, according to the uh, New York Times, in a swing state could play a role in deciding the November presidential election. Now, there is no doubt, yes, Terry McAuliffe is a Democrat. There is no doubt that he is, uh, you know, doing this to help his party. I'm sure he's a big supporter of Hillary Clinton's. So there is no doubt. But you know what? I don't care. And by the way, I'm sure the Democrats would be as much against, uh, you know, enfranchising people to vote uh, if they felt that it would hurt their party the way Republicans clearly feel it will hurt their party. But you know what? I don't care. I ain't for the Democrats. I ain't for the Republicans. I'm for the voters. I'm for democracy. I think people should be able to vote. And by the way, I will go far, much farther than uh, uh, Governor Terry McAuliffe did and say, you know what? If you're in jail, if you are still serving time in jail, you should be able to uh, to participate in the democratic process. You should have a say in the people that decide the laws that resulted in you going to jail. That thing progress story talks about people who have lost their right to vote uh, for a mere marijuana possession charge years and years ago. So I suspect there are a lot of people in jail who would have something to say about the particular laws that we have concerning uh, uh, enfranchisement. So McAuliffe uh, said that there's no question we have had a horrible history in voting rights as it relates to African-Americans. He made his announcement on the steps of Virginia's Capitol on Friday, just yards from where President Abraham Lincoln once addressed freed slaves. Of course, it provoked an immediate backlash from Republicans. Did I mention I don't care? Did I mention <laughs> I don't give a damn? Uh, they issued a statement accusing the governor of political opportunism and a transparent effort to win votes. Yes, to win votes by uh, adding uh, voting rights to by allowing 200,000 more people on our voting rolls. Right now, the Times notes only two states, Maine and Vermont, have no voting restriction on felons. Yes, if you're in jail in Maine and Vermont, you still get to vote. Twelve states disenfranchise felons after they have even after they have completed their probation or parole, according to Mark Maurer, the executive director of the Sentencing Project. Virginia had been only uh, had been one of four states actually still is, I guess, since this is a uh, an executive order as opposed to a statute. But Virginia has been one of four states. The others are Kentucky, Florida and Iowa that impose the harshest restrictions, a lifetime ban on voting for felons, a lifetime ban. Serve your time. Doesn't matter. You are still banned forever in participating in our democratic process. One of those states, uh, Kentucky, saw that uh, that policy overturned by an executive order uh, last what was this last November by uh, Governor Steve Bashir just before he left office. And then Matt Bevin, the new Tea Party Republican governor of Kentucky, promptly came in and overturned that executive order. We saw something similar in Florida and in Iowa, where uh, uh, the governors had taken executive action to ease those lifetime bans, only to see them overturned uh, later by uh, subsequent uh, uh, governors. Mr. Uh, Maurer from uh, from the uh, sentencing project says this will be the single most significant action on disenfranchisement that we have ever seen from a governor, citing uh, the Virginia executive action today. 
says it's noteworthy coming in the middle of of, of uh, McAuliffe's term, coming in the middle of his term instead of at the very end, as we saw in Kentucky with Steve Bashir, not the day before he leaves office. So there may be some political heat that McAuliffe takes, but uh, the fact that he's willing to take that on makes it quite admirable. Admirable, uh, says uh, says Mr. Maurer. Mariner Perez from the uh, Brennan Center uh, noted that uh, almost half of all states already had less restrictive policies than the one announced by Mr. McAuliffe, allowing felons to vote after their prison terms are completed, even while they remain on parole or probation. So even this move that he made to reenfranchise 200,000 potential voters, they still have to register to vote. Uh, Even at that uh, they still in in Virginia have a more restrictive policy for uh, uh, reenfranchising reenfranchising felons than many states. Now, uh, just to give you an idea where these things come from, uh, according to the New York Times, they noted that Virginia's Constitution has prohibited felons from voting since the Civil War. The restrictions were expanded in 1902. As part of a package that included poll taxes and literacy taxes, those poll taxes and literacy taxes have since been rolled back. But the disenfranchisement of felons remains. And really, just to, this blew my mind when I saw this in researching the provision. Advisors to the governor in Virginia turned up a 1906 report that quoted Carter Glass. Familiar with that name? He a, was a Virginia state uh, senator. Uh, and was responsible for the Glass-Steagall Act that you may have heard of. Now that I've heard of. That you have heard of, yes. Uh, in, in any event, what he said, what he was quoted as saying back in 1906, was that disenfranchising uh, felons would, quote, <laughs> this, is, uh, this is Glass's uh, words, not mine, would, quote, eliminate the darkie <gasps> as a political factor in this state in less than five years, so that in no single county of the Commonwealth will there be the least concern felt for the complete supremacy of the white race in the affairs of government. Wow. That's what this law that is still in place in Virginia, that's what this law is based on. And uh, there will be a legal challenge, uh, no doubt, against what McAuliffe is doing, but he says he now has the executive power uh, based on a rewrite of the uh, of the state's constitution back in 1971, he now has the power to reenfranchise uh, some 200,000 uh, formerly disenfranchised voters or potential voters. So uh, good for him. Uh, good for Terry McCall. I'm no fan of McAuliffe's, but uh, he said, uh, quote, people have served their time and done their probation. I want you back in society. I want you feeling good about yourself. I want you voting, getting a job and paying taxes. So uh, that's a good news story, I should say. Uh, and one more that I'm going to do very quickly before we get to uh, to Doug Hughes here. We've been talking about the uh, the massive purge of voters, the sort of the mysterious purge of voters in Brooklyn, uh, news of which came out just before the uh, uh, th- that state's primary uh, last Tuesday. Well, uh, that has spurred an investigation by the uh, by the state attorney general who said he received more than a thousand complaints on Election Day about uh, problems related to this. It's uh, spurred an audit also from the uh, uh, New York State controller. 
Well, now uh, that massive screw up, apparently it's a screw up. We don't know yet what the details were and why more than 100,000 voters were removed from the roll. And I should say 100,000 specifically Democratic voters removed from the rolls. Well, now Diane Diane Hazlitt Rudiano, the Board of Elections chief clerk, was suspended without pay on Thursday two days after the city's botched presidential primary, uh, according to the New York Daily News. For what it's worth, Haslett Rudiano is a Republican. I don't yet know what it's worth because we don't yet have uh, many details on this. She was suspended without pay, effective immediately, pending an internal investigation into the administration of the voter rolls in the borough of Brooklyn, the Board of Elections said in a statement on Thursday. Apparently, according to the sources of New York Daily News, uh, Hazlitt Rudiano uh, skipped one of the stages that was built in to stop the system from purging eligible voters, which caused a chain reaction that led to the people being improperly removed. Some 8% of its active voter rolls in Brooklyn were purged between November 1 of 2015 and April 1 of 2016, and yet we still do not know the details. We don't know exactly what that step was that she missed, if it was on purpose, if it was an accident. Attorney General Eric Schneiderman said that the administration of the voter rolls in Brooklyn is of major concern to our office and is a key focus of our investigation. So we will be keeping our eyes on that as things move forward. Okay, got to take a quick break and we will uh, speak with Doug Hughes about his, uh, what did the judge call it? His publicity stunt right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The 2016 election season is now at full throttle. Here at the Bradcast and bradblog.com, we fight for election integrity all year around like no other media outlet in the nation. But we need your support to keep doing so now more than ever. Please stop by bradblog.com donate to make a monthly pledge of any amount you like to help keep us going or even just a one time only contribution. While everyone else covers the horse race, we also keep our eyes on the track conditions those horses are running on. Because voting systems, access to the polls, and citizen oversight of election results can make all the difference. Please help us continue to fight independently for your democracy by taking about 60 seconds right now to stop by bradblog.com donate today. And thanks. And first at 11, a gyrocopter lands and jaws drop on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. A man who landed a gyrocopter on the lawn of the U.S. Capitol. It is that shocking stunt pulled off by a man who flew his small gyrocopter to Washington and then landed on the west lawn of the U.S. Capitol. This gives new meaning to the idea of airmail. Right now we're standing in the middle of the National Mall. This is basically the gyrocopter's flight path. 24 hours after he crashed his gyrocopter near the U.S. Capitol, He'll appear before a federal judge to face a bunch of charges. Doug Hughes made national headlines last week when he landed his gyrocopter on the west lawn of the Capitol. He hoped to make a statement on the corrupting effects of big money on elections. But instead, the focus remains on his flight and the resulting security breach. But instead, he began a different conversation about the state of Homeland Security. Yeah. I remember that. 
Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I should point out uh, in those in those clips from uh, just over a year ago, uh, he didn't crash. He did not crash his gyrocopter into the U.S. Capitol. He he landed it quite uh, quite smartly, actually. I don't know if you remember that story. It caused quite a ruckus, uh, as I say, just over a year ago when Doug Hughes, the uh, then 61-year-old Florida postal worker, uh, flew on tax day, April 15, 2015, from Pennsylvania to Washington, D.C. in his hand-built and really cool little gyrocopter, the national media freaked out, as you just heard from those clips from last year, when he landed the gyrocopter on the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol, where he was immediately arrested, charged with violating national airspace and operating an unregistered aircraft. But Hughes, as you also sort of could hear in those media clips, he was not trying to draw attention to national security vulnerabilities at the U.S. Capitol as a U.S. postal worker. He was hoping to make a very unique statement in a very unique way by delivering a letter to each of the 535 U.S. senators and congressmen demanding that they take action on campaign finance reform in the wake of the uh, Supreme Court decisions in Citizens United and McCutcheon and all of these other related cases that essentially have opened the floodgate to billions of corporate dollars in our electoral system often from donors who are completely undisclosed to the public, allowing our elections and public officials to simply be bought beyond anything that we have seen, at least in modern times in this country. We spoke with Doug Hughes uh, just after his arrest last year in April and then again uh, last fall after his attorneys were working to strike a plea deal with federal prosecutors who had been attempting to see him thrown in jail for years for this demonstration in which... No one was hurt uh, other than, uh, I guess, the uh, corporate uh, media who had their feathers ruffled and not really because they got some great content that day and in the days following. Doug Hughes was able to uh, plea those uh, charges, those initial uh, federal felony charges that uh, federal prosecutors had thrown at him. He was able to plea that down to just one felony charge related to that now infamous gyrocopter flight. And on Thursday, Hughes was sentenced to four months in federal prison. That, even as millionaires and billionaires and corporations continue to spend billions to bastardize our representative democracy in this country in all manners of ways. And yes, those same millionaires and billionaires literally uh, get away with murder in many cases. Doug Hughes joins us now again uh, following the, his sentencing in federal court yesterday. Doug Hughes, welcome back to the broadcast, sir. Hi, Brad. Thanks for inviting me on. Uh, glad to have you back. Really am. Uh, okay, what precisely uh, were you sentenced to in federal court yesterday? Um, well, the judge at first misspoke, and she sentenced me to 120 months, but then she fortunately <laughs> corrected herself. Before I had a heart attack, for 120 days. <laughs> yes, I guess so. And and what exactly? What, what was the charge uh, that you are being sent to jail for, Doug? The uh, the charge that I pleaded guilty to is a felony um, flying without an airman certificate. Um, I learned to fly legally without having to get a pilot's license, flying as an ultralight. But because I had flown through airspace, that I would have been required to have a pilot's license in. There was 
there was the technicality of a felony that they were able to apply. They agreed to drop the other charges if I would plead to uh, the one felony, and my attorneys had worked for many months in negotiations, and they felt that um, this was absolutely necessary as for me to take a plea deal rather than... Uh, rather than go to trial, where mm-hmm. I was factually guilty of at least some of the charges. Mm-hmm. Well, d- your attorneys had argued that you should not spend any more time in jail beyond that one day, I guess, uh, overnight that you had spent after being arrested. D- do you plan to appeal this uh, this four-month sentence, or, or will you be uh, serving your time in, in jail for this? I've, I, I expect to serve my time in jail uh, because I did plead guilty and I was guilty of flying without a, a pilot certificate. Mm-hmm. Um, we had agreed with the prosecution that he would ask for a maximum of 10 months, which he aggressively did try to get. Mm-hmm. And we we were free to ask for as little as zero time or, or time served. Um, the judge split the difference a little bit in my favor. Um, I don't feel that four months in jail is correct given that there was zero property damage, no injuries, and it had always been intended and designed that way. Um, But the judge decided to place a lot of emphasis on the hypothetical, what might have happened, what could have been Mm -hmm. collateral damage. And so she wanted to... um, she wanted to make a statement of her own yeah. um, about um, not doing anything, not only not doing anything that does injury, but don't do anything that the state claimed could cause injury. Do So does that mean you will not appeal at this point? You've decided that or yeah, are you still discussing? At, at, this, at this point, we uh, don't feel that there's legal grounds to appeal. Okay, She did come down with a sentence that was within the sentencing guidelines. Mm-hmm. Um, we think her reasoning is completely wrong, but that's not going to be grounds for an appeal, particularly in consideration that I did plead guilty to the charge. That was uh, U.S. District Judge uh, Colleen Culler Cotelli. She reprimanded you in court for what she describes as a publicity stunt. She said, quote, I don't think you appreciate how dangerous your conduct was. Uh, you reportedly, uh, according to the USA uh, to USA Today, expressed remorse, apologized to police and your family, but said you had no regrets. Really, really, Doug, would you have done this all over again, knowing what has now happened, and and now that you're facing months in federal prison? As as I pointed out to the judge in the courtroom, I will never do this again. But I have no regrets over having done it. Mm. So yes, I said that in the court. We spoke uh, earlier on this program today, Doug, about the issue of felon disenfranchisement. And, uh, and of course, Florida, where, where you uh, hail, is pretty much the worst in the nation on that score. So as a resident of Florida and, and, and now as a convicted felon, uh, ironically enough, will, will you be losing your voting rights in the state of, uh, in the state of Florida? Yeah, I, I was able to vote for Bernie Sanders in the primary. Um, and I checked with the uh, with the voting agency in Florida to make sure that I could vote in that election, but I will not be able to vote in the um, in the general. And God only knows when I'll get my voting rights back. Wow, uh, 
I mean, and I'm glad you checked. Uh, so I guess uh, even uh, charged with a felony, you're allowed to vote until you are actually, what, convicted and sentenced? That, that was a technicality that I actually went down to the Registrar of Voters' Office, mm-hmm. and I said, look, I want to know if I can vote in the primary, because I have pleaded guilty, but I have not yet been sentenced. Mm-hmm. And they asked three different people, and finally a lady who's uh, looked like she's about 72 years old <laughs> said, no, I know the answer to that one. He can vote until sentencing. Okay. And I said, okay, that, that's cool. Uh, all right. Well, I hope that 72-year-old lady was right about that. You don't need any more problems. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Doug, hundreds of protesters, uh, maybe I think more than a 1,000, uh, have been arrested over the past two weeks uh, at these democracy spring demonstrations at that same U.S. Capitol. They also have been calling for election reform uh, to get money out of our political system and so forth. They were arrested. Uh, you're now facing jail time. All the all in this fight for uh, simply you know, the ideal that democracy should not be corrupted by money. Is all of this sacrifice sacrifice worth it? And and do you feel that it's making a difference as you see it, Doug? Well, let, let, let me, I, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the Democracy Spring um, demonstration. There were over 1,200 mm-hmm. people who were arrested over a week, mm-hmm. okay? The first day on Monday was over 400 arrested. We set a record for arrests at the Capitol. And uh, towards the end of the demonstration, Ben and Jerry of Ben and Jerry's ice cream were elected, mm-hmm. were arrested as part of the demonstration, there were thousands of others who did not choose to get arrested, which is their, it's, a, it's an individual mm-hmm. decision. Mm-hmm. But there were thousands of people who agreed who showed up. So on Sunday, the march that happened on Sunday was uh, over 5,000 people. So there's a huge groundswell of interest that wasn't there a year ago. And I don't claim credit for all of it, but Certainly, my flight helped to focus and energize the movement. And, I, and I'm always thrilled to read a top-notch article by somebody about corruption in government that doesn't mention me at all, okay? Mm-hmm. Because I wasn't reading those articles two years ago, mm-hmm. okay? And we are seeing them now. Um, my flight was a factor. Nobody can assign a a numerical value to my flight, but it was a factor in helping to get people engaged. And I think I convinced people, let me go back to a previous point. Judge Catelli said that my flight was a stunt. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was a stunt because it didn't change anything as far as the laws were concerned. It didn't do anything except it changed the perception that resistance is futile. Mm -hmm. People now believe that they can change it, and a lot of people are getting engaged in changing it. Well, they are, but I'll tell you, you know, you mentioned 5,000 people uh, marching in that Democracy Spring uh, protest on Sunday. Uh, Your flight. Uh, you know, I think had more media attention just on that, you know, that one flight, that one day alone, than all of these thousands of people who have been marching and protesting and demonstrating and getting arrested over the past two weeks in the U.S. Capitol. So I, I raise this because 
you know, we've been talking about, uh, you know, what forms of protest are even effective anymore. And I'd love your thoughts uh, on this uh, question as well. Are these demonstrations, not yours, but these these marches, these protests, these demonstrations, these arrests, are they effective if the media are not going to bother to cover it at all in the first place? And I should add, I suspect they would be covering it if these were, you know, hundreds or or thousands of Tea Party protesters who were being arrested at the nation's capital. I think that would have made its way into the corporate media. But uh, so are, are these forms of a fe- uh, 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 protest effective anymore? Marching and arrests so forth. Well, you, you, you know, the, the old adage, if it's. If it bleeds, it leads, okay? Mm -hmm. If somebody is hurt or if somebody's hurting somebody else, then the media will cover it, okay? And they'll give it top priority. The police were restrained in Washington, D.C. They didn't mace anybody. They didn't beat anybody. They didn't even show up in riot gear. Thankfully, thankfully. So the police were cool, okay? Mm -hmm. And the Democracy Spring people all went through training, okay, so that they were not confrontational and there was no vandalism okay and the media decided well it doesn't matter if there's thousands of people there's no story there because nobody nobody's getting hurt nobody's hurting anybody else i got called last night by cnn um about my sentencing Uh and i said i'm really glad you people called and i said there was a thing that happened here in dc last week democracy spring and i read off the numbers to him and he says yeah no i i heard about that I said, well, did you know that they were chanting, where is CNN? Where is... I said, you get thousands of people together, and not a, not a single CNN camera, mm-hmm. there was no coverage of what was going on. I said, what kind of ghouls are running the organization? That you've got to have somebody dead before the media will cover it, or almost dead, or yeah. could, could be dead. Um, and he said, he said, I hear you. And I said, I'm not in your face personally. And I said, I know you'll probably never put, put this in, in, uh, in the column in whatever you write. Mm-hmm. I said, but if the judge is going to tell me that I can't make the flight that I made because it was too dangerous. Okay. And, and, if, and yet if we do something that's spectacular with thousands of people and the media won't cover it, what are our remaining choices? Yeah. Um, and, and what, and what, Doug? What, what are our remaining choices? What was that CNN uh, uh, producer or reporter's response to that? He said, "Look," he said, "on my own, not as a reporter." He said, "I went down to Democracy Spring. I saw it." Okay. Yeah. I said, "Okay, so you know, I'm not shoveling smoke. What I'm reporting to you really happened." He said, "Yeah, it really happened. I was there. It was fantastic." I said, "Okay." I said, somebody's got to look at the standard. What are the rules of what CNN decides mm-hmm. is newsworthy? I'm saying that their standard is wrong. And I, and I was respectfully but directly challenging CNN on the choice to cover me as much as they did and cover Democracy Spring, which is much more significant, so little. Did they note any of that, uh, those concerns in their report? And I don't know if you were actually on I CNN. Don't, I or? don't know. I, I haven't. I'm on the road. I, okay. I haven't been able to bring up the computer, and so I don't know where CNN has gone with what I questioned them on. Mm-hmm. But I'm not hostile to the media, and I wasn't hostile. But I would. But I challenged them. Mm-hmm. I said, "You've got to look at what your standard is, because you're telling people if they want to get in the news, they got to be violent." 
Mm. And that's wrong. I won't do that. But I was also asked by the media after my sentencing if I was going to do this again. I said, no, I will never do anything like this again. They said, would you do something again if it might put you back in jail? And I said, if it would advance the cause, yes. I'll go back to jail for another four months. No problem. Yeah. I, I can't. I can't help but note uh, the irony of all of this, as you describe it, Doug Hughes. Uh, you know, where, where you're now facing jail time. Uh, the conversation about, you know, how do we get, uh, you know, attention? How do we get the mainstream media, the corporate media, to even focus on these issues at all, which affect every single American? And yet, you know, we see stories of of these big banks and these oil and coal companies whose whose crimes result in actual deaths, uh, you know, and along with people losing their homes, lives ruined. And in those cases, nobody goes to jail. Huge, you know, they pay billion dollar financial settlements, uh, these companies, but that all goes away. You know, that nobody goes to jail. Those settlements are even, you know, tax write-offs for those companies. So I know what I feel when, when I see those stories. Well, what must go through your head, Doug Hughes, when, when you hear about these companies essentially getting off the hook, uh, getting away scot-free by, you know, paying a fine and, and, and walking away while while you're otherwise facing four months in jail and these thousands of Americans, millions of Americans, are trying to even get, uh, you know, CNN to, to point the cameras their way to, to, to report on these issues. For, for companies, it is the cost of doing business. They break the law, they pay a fine, and they pass the cost on to the consumer. It is simply the cost of doing business, and it will continue to be that way until the executives have to start serving jail time for what they're getting fined for. But we're going to have to get elected officials who are not owned by those corporations before they say, look, we guarantee you that if if your bank is cited for violations, okay, Mm -hmm. we're going to go ahead and we're going to follow the chain of command up until we can find where the decision was made. And the person most senior who made the decision is going to go to jail. And so there's going to be incentive for these people to go, wait, I was just carrying out orders. They will go ahead and pass it up to the point where it can no longer credibly be passed any higher. If you're being asked to break the law and you work work for Chase Manhattan, if you're a low-level bureaucrat who's being asked to do something, you can say, wait, I want that. I want an email on that. Okay? I want it in writing because you want to be able to have that email so that if the if the police come for you, you say, "Wait, I didn't make that decision. My boss authorized it." Um, well, so yeah, we got We got to start jailing people, and we got to start jailing the most senior people who are responsible for a decision. And if somebody will make a decision and they won't put it down on an email, then. You don't do it. Well, that that all sounds well and good, Doug. Uh, but, you know, the fact is, when you talked about we have to find some, you know, these elected officials who aren't taking all the money from these companies. Look, Republicans uh, seemingly have no interest whatsoever in doing anything about any of this. Uh, we know that. Uh, at the same time, you mentioned you neither, were neither, neither does neither does Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, head of the uh, uh, Democratic National Committee, uh, a congresswoman who you had been planning to run against, uh, as I understand it. I, and and I guess now that you're going to jail, you have uh, decided to not run against Debbie Wasserman Schultz, right? 
No, I'm throwing my support behind a challenger named Tim Canova. Okay. Okay. And uh, he stands a good chance of being able to beat her in the primary. Okay, well, let me let me get to that uh, question, though, because, yeah, you mentioned Debbie Wasserman Schultz, uh, and you mentioned that you were a supporter of uh, Bernie Sanders, that you voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. Well, Hillary Clinton, the front runner of the Democratic Party uh, nomination here, she is taking and has taken millions of dollars from these corporations. And now, you know, she has been making the argument in, in her debates with Bernie Sanders and so forth that uh, she can do so without being influenced by the people who gave her that money, by the corporations, uh, you know, who paid for hundreds of thousands, millions of dollars for her speeches and so forth. Doesn't that take away the argument from the Democrats entirely to turn over Citizens United and to get money out of politics? After all, Hillary Clinton says, yes, I took millions and millions of dollars, but I haven't made one you know, decision uh, to help out the, the banks and the people who gave me that money. I can take that money, those millions of dollars, and not be affected. Doesn't that completely gut the argument on the Democratic side uh, for reform to, uh, you know, for overturning Citizens United and so forth? Look, I, I, am, I am a real fan of President Obama's. I love a lot of the policies, but he came into office when the bank-caused recession was in full swing, okay? Mm -hmm. So the Department of Justice, under Obama, indicted how many bank officials? Do you remember the number? I think it's close to zero, if I remember correctly. I think I think that number is correct, okay? okay? Yeah. So, uh, you know, here's the thing. Where, where you say... Show me where I did something. I'm sorry. I've got. To, I've got. To, I can only point to what you didn't do. They didn't take action. They didn't go after the bankers. And this was after Obama took a lot of money from those same individuals. Uh, they didn't reinstate Glass Siegel. Right. So yes, here it is. You can point at what they didn't do. But they're saying point at what I did do. Well, you could no, also, by the way, didn't. Doug, you could also point to things that they did do. San, uh, Bernie Sanders was was seemingly not prepared when that question came up in in uh, in the debate a week or so ago. But I think you can point to things that they have done. My point is uh, not that they are not affected by all of this, but that they are making the argument that the front runner for the Democratic Party is is making the argument that, hey, uh, I can take all of these millions of dollars, I can do them no favors uh, in exchange for it, and it's fine, and therefore, I don't know how you ever move forward with overturning Citizens United when she's just essentially said, oh, you know what, Citizens United does not matter. I know. I, I mean, I know how we do it. How do we do okay. it? Please tell me. I would love to know. How do we move forward at this point, Doug Hughes? Um, if you wanted to uh, talk to Eric Cantor, mm -hmm. you'd have to call him on Wall Street. He's no longer in Congress. Right. Because he got beaten in a primary election mm -hmm. by a Tea Party guy who ripped him up one side and down the other for his Wall Street connections. Mm -hmm. This time out, a guy named Tim Canova is going to beat Debbie Wasserman Schultz in the primary. Mm -hmm. And what these two elections are going to show is that everybody in Congress is vulnerable in the primary because a very, very small number of voters ever bother to show up in the primary. Yeah. If it's a Republican primary and the Tea Party people are activated and, and energized, they can vote out any Republican. If, if the progressives are energized and engaged, 
they can vote out any incumbent. Here's the thing. If we can put, make a national referendum on the issue of corruption, and on that single issue, mm-hmm. we come up with a specific agenda of what reform is that Democrats and Republicans can agree on. I'm not talking about the parties. I'm talking about uh, upstart candidates mm-hmm. who will run against the party machine, against the Democratic Party machine, against the Republican Party machine, where they agree on getting the money out of politics and they agree what it is. This becomes a single referendum with 435 elections. And you beat them in the primary because 85% of the House districts are so heavily gerrymandered that it's certain in the general election mm-hmm. that in a blue district, the Democrat will, will win. In a red district, the Republican will win. But you can knock them off with like 4% of the population of any district is more than enough to beat the incumbent in the primary. Eric Cantor outspent mm-hmm. this guy, David Bratt, 10 to 1. He dumped $10 million into a primary election, and he got his ass beat. It's not just a matter of money. Okay. Yep. Well, you Here's know what? the thing. If we, get, if, we get, if we get a bipartisan reformist majority elected to the U.S. House of Representatives, where these people have agreed to what reform is, they can pull a walkout from the U.S. House of Representatives and say, we will deny you a quorum until you agree to bring this legislation on this list up to a vote. Well, I don't and know we're how on strike. I I don't know, Doug, uh, how bipartisan that consensus can possibly be. I I uh, I would love to join your optimism, and I and I will. I'll say that sounds great to me. Uh, but I do think uh, where I certainly agree with you is that uh, yeah, elections make a difference. People have to go vote. They have to go vote not just f- you know once every four years in a presidential election, but yes, you know every two years the entire House of Representatives. Uh, is up for election and you don't wait till November uh, to vote, uh, you know, for the Democrat or the Republican. But if you participate in the primary process, as you point out, uh, Doug Hughes, we can get rid of a lot of these uh, Democrats who are not doing what they pretend to stand for. Doug, I got to get out uh, very quickly. Uh, When do you report to prison at this point? Well, I got to I got to call in every Monday and they'll let me know when they find a bed and where. Um oh. I'm trying to get into a low security camp that's up on the Panhandle of Florida and uh if the Bureau of Prisons assigns me there then I'll probably report sometime within the next uh 2 to 6 weeks. Well, uh, best of luck to you, uh, Doug. Thank you again for for what you have done, what you did, for your valiant flight, and and frankly, for your self-sacrifice for what is a very important cause. Uh, How can people, before we go, how can people support you? I know you had uh, a website at thedemocracyclub.org. Is there anything that uh, people can do to to help out, uh, help you out personally and, and help out the cause as you see it in 15 um, seconds. There, there, is a, uh, there is a link on the Democracy Club if anybody wants to toss a few, uh, a few bucks in the, in the tin cup. But the most important thing that people can do is what they are doing by listening to your show. They are becoming informed and engaged and aware of what they can do. And that's, that's the whole thing in a nutshell right there. Um, is for people to stay tuned because things are going to come up. There are going to be options available. There are leaders coming up, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to work with them in any way I can. 
Doug Hughes, uh, otherwise known as the gyrocopter guy, uh, and his website, thedemocracyclub.org, if you want to help him out. Doug, uh, best of luck in jail. Uh, please stay in touch, and we will we'll talk to you, I, I hope, on the other side. Okay. Thanks, thanks, Brad. You bet. Thank you, brother. A quick break, and we're back with more Bradcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. I got a couple of things I want to get to here, so uh, let me get straight to it. Our latest Green News report. So many things went so terribly wrong and tragically wrong in Flint. Criminal charges for officials in Flint water crisis. We're still suffering from the BP disaster. Louisiana residents protest new offshore drilling on anniversary of BP oil spill. Deadly oil facility explosion kills three in Mexico. Plus, Harris points in one direction, but that is only a blueprint. This Earth Day, world leaders gather to sign the historic Paris Agreement to fight climate change. All of that history and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. You know, I'm looking forward to the day when it's renewable energy running politics. But imagine the day where mobsters are like, you take care of me. I'll make sure you got a nice set of solar panels on your roof come spring, capiche? Capito, this is your Green News Report. Renewable energy. Okay, Desi Doyen, I know you got a lot to get to today, but I want to welcome our newest affiliate partner. Very excited about this. WGRN 94.1 in Columbus, Ohio. And not only are they WGRN, they are the Green Renaissance Network. Oh, yay! I like them already. I thought you might. All right, what do you got for us today? Well, first, criminal charges in the Flint water crisis. At a press conference on Wednesday, Michigan Attorney General Bill Schuette charged three officials, two state environment officials and one city water official, on 18 felony and misdemeanor counts. They failed. They failed in their responsibilities to protect the health and safety of families of Flint. They failed Michigan families. Indeed, they failed us all, and I don't care where you live. The three were charged with misconduct in office, misleading federal officials, and conspiracy to tamper with evidence, including falsifying testing documents. Michigan officials denied there was a problem with Flint's water for nearly two years after a state-appointed emergency manager switched the city's water system to a new source to save money. And the attorney general has promised there will be more charges against other officials as well. Yeah, he said he practically guaranteed it. Meanwhile, Flint's water is still unsafe. Wednesday marks six years since the BP oil spill in the Gulf of Mexico when an explosion aboard the Deepwater Horizon offshore drilling rig killed 11 men and caused one of the worst oil spills in world history. The Obama administration this week issued the latest five-year plan opening up new areas for offshore drilling in the Gulf with new standards for blowout preventers, a crucial piece of equipment that failed six years ago. Residents of the Gulf, however, are demanding no more drilling on their vulnerable coastline. 
We're still suffering from the BP disaster. We still have oil that comes in. We lose about a football field an hour of land here in Louisiana, and a lot of that, a lot of that has to do with the oil industry. If we continue to invest in this long-term plan that keeps us locked to an infrastructure that poisons our people, steals our democracy, and causes long-term damage to our ecosystem. Wildlife in the Gulf still suffers. On Tuesday, NOAA scientists found exposure to BP's oil was the likely reason behind a mass die-off of baby dolphins in the Gulf. In Mexico, at least three people are confirmed dead, dozens injured, and hundreds evacuated after a large explosion at an oil processing facility in the state of Veracruz, owned by a subsidiary of Pemex, the state-owned oil company. It's the latest in a series of deadly explosions at Pemex facilities in recent years, but in a statement, Pemex assured that oil exports would not be affected. Oh, good. Meanwhile, more than half the U.S. population lives amid dangerous air pollution, warns the American Lung Association in its annual report, The State of the Air. 160 million Americans, more than half the nation, breathes dangerously polluted air, and nearly all of that air pollution comes from burning fossil fuels. Finally, Friday, April 22nd, is the 46th annual Earth Day. Earth Day 2016 is special. Leaders of at least 150 nations meet at the United Nations headquarters in New York to sign the landmark Paris Agreement, the historic international emissions pact reached in December in which nations agreed to limit global temperatures from rising more than 2 degrees Celsius or 1.5 degrees Celsius, if at all possible. UN Climate Chief Christiana Figueres at a speech in London said as difficult as it was to get 195 nations to agree unanimously on anything, that was the easy part. Now we come to the difficult part because now we have to be intentional about everything that we do, about every investment that we do, about everything in our daily lives. We need to be intentional about the choice that we're making. The choice needs to be made, it needs to be intentional, and above all, it needs to be urgent. The agreement goes into effect once 55 countries, representing 55 percent of global emissions, join and ratify it. The U.S. and China, representing 40 percent of global emissions, are on board. And they're all expected to sign on Earth Day this yes. year? Yes. Well, that is very good news for Earth Day indeed, although, as we say around here at the Green News Report, every day is Earth Day. Exactly. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. It's a beautiful day. It is a beautiful day. Indeed it is. Happy Happy Earth Day, Desi Thank Doyen. Thank you. Almost, Every day is Earth Day, though. I know. I almost said happy birthday. <laughs> uh, very quickly before we get out, John Kasich was asked about, uh, I want to just get this in. Uh, John Kasich was asked about uh, voting rights for Washington, D.C., statehood for Washington, D.C., essentially. He's been against it for a long time. He said, yeah, I just don't uh, see that we really need that, okay? I don't know. I don't think so. Post, Washington Post editor uh, followed up, asked him why D.C. residents shouldn't have a vote in Congress if they pay taxes and they serve in the military. A lot of people don't know that people who live in our nation's capital uh, actually are, you know, have taxation without representation. Kasich said what it really gets down to, if you want to be honest, is because they know that's just more votes in the Democratic Party. 
So at least he admitted it. This is about keeping Democrats from voting. They don't give a damn about democracy if it keeps people from voting. Well, you know what? John Kasich, uh, he was out uh, campaigning in New York before the primary and uh, went to a matzah factory uh, in advance of Passover and said, one of the dumbest things I have ever heard from any uh, political campaign. And, of course, uh, both Sam B. Uh, in Late Night and Stephen Colbert noticed it. Here's Sam B. On, on, and what John Kasich said. Kasich continued his birthright Brooklyn trip at a matzah factory where he rained down condescension like a plague of frogs falling from the sky. It's a wonderful, wonderful holiday for our friends in the Jewish community, the Passover. The great link between the blood that was put above the lamppost, the blood of the lamb, is Jesus Christ is known as the Lamb of God. It's his blood we What? What? Did John Kasich just fan fiction Jesus into the Passover? Dude, the Passover predates Jesus by 13 centuries. There were no lampposts. And the one thing you don't do at Passover is go around spouting nonsense about Christ's blood. That never ends well. Look it up on the Google. Stephen Colbert also rang in on that same stupid statement from John Kasich. Great link between the blood that was put above the lamppost, the blood of the lamb, is Jesus Christ is known as the Lamb of God. This, of course, brings us to the traditional questions of Passover. Why do we eat bitter herbs? Why is this night different from all other nights? And why are we talking about Jesus right now? <laughs> Point is... Yes, uh, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, to my guest today, Doug Hughes of thedemocracyclub.org. And thanks to you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, download it for free at bradblog.com. Drop me email. I'm Bradcast at Bradblog.com. And on the Twitters and the Facebooks, I am simply the Brad Blog. Use hashtag Bradcast if you like. All right, until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Everybody.